So this morning we are back in Ephesians, and um, these first three chapters are, as Jonathan told us, the intro, the theology, and the rest of the book, starting next week, is the practice or the behavior or the, the lifestyle that we live out of this identity, this new identity we've been given in Jesus. And chapter 3, as I was getting ready to study, as I was getting ready to teach it, it's just got so much in it. It's really, really packed. And I started to try to unpack it, and I, I prayed about it, as I always do. And the Spirit has led me to do the opposite of what I would expect. And that is, since it's so packed, let's not just cover chapter 3. Let's cover chapters 1, 2, and 3 all at once. But here's why. It's really one message He just says the same things several ways over the course of what we call three chapters. And so it's actually better to back away from it today and to see the whole thing at once so that we get it. Because we've gone kind of deep into the minutia, the beautiful minutia of these first three chapters. So today we're going to back up and see it all. And so uh, the one thing I'm asking for today, and it's in chapter three, is that God would give us supernatural wisdom. So, so my prayer above all is that what happens today is not so much that I articulate things in a fresh way or that I make them really clear for you, but that somehow the Holy Spirit would really let the truth of these three chapters settle in deep into your heart. And probably you won't take it all in. You'll take in some part of it. There'll be some part of these first three chapters that really speaks to you. But I want to pray for that. And I know we're looking for this every Sunday. We're always looking for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But but really in particular, um, I guess what I'm saying is what I couldn't get over is how profound every sentence is. Just so profound. And I live a very practical life, a very pragmatic life with plenty to do. And I live on such a little pragmatic, small pieces life and these are such big pieces and I just felt like gosh I don't even feel like I'm connecting with them they're just too big they're too they're spiritual they're eternal they're gigantic you know how do how do I communicate that and I just realized I can't but the Holy Spirit does and that's exactly what Paul said in the book he says I pray for the wisdom that you would get it And I could tell, so if Paul, who was even meticulously writing everything down, felt like it wasn't going to be learned unless the Holy Spirit spoke it, that that's probably what we need to do today. So I want to invite you, let's just take a minute of silence and ask you to make a lot of space in your heart and mind for God to speak to you. So maybe that's a little bit of releasing some other thoughts, um, forgetting about whether you should go get the chicken or not. Uh, just relax. Uh, It may mean letting go of some anxiety, or it may mean speaking a little bit of praise in your soul to God to just release that. But let's together, let's empty out our hearts and minds of anything that would be in the way that would distract us. Father, we do uh, so honestly, so sincerely want to understand and want to be able to take a hold of things that are so big. Father, what you said to 
the Ephesian church through Paul is, is overwhelming. And God, it's also different than what we live every day. It's language and it's concepts that we just don't sit in all the time. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, help us absorb the truth right now. God, we know none of these words will be new, but we pray that they become new in us right now. Father, we want to get it. We want to understand. We want to absorb. We want to realize that you have spoken a whole bunch of new stuff into life and into our lives and into our life as a community. So, Holy Spirit, please give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Let us take in the goodness of who we are now in Jesus. Father, we want to be individuals, but even more, we want to be a community that has received all that you've given so that we can live in it, so that we can live it out. Father, we want to be very different humans because, Jesus, you've offered that. So we ask you now, Holy Spirit, let us understand. Please, let us understand. Thoughts bigger than us. Let us understand in Jesus' name. If you do need a word to hang on today, to the word is fullness. So just keep that word in your minds for sure, because that's a, a piece of where we're going. So we introduce to you... Um, Four questions about a year ago. We said these are four questions you can use whenever you study the scriptures. And in case you don't remember them, here they are. But you can ask any passage in the scripture these four questions, and you'll get a lot out of it as you do. Who is God? What has he done? Who are we as a result of what he's done? And what are we to do? And Ephesians is no exception. It would be really easy to go through and ask each one of those questions one at a time, and then look for those answers and share those, and then move on to the next one. That's what I would have loved to have done, but we don't have the time. So we're going to take that third question, who are we, and just focus on that one question. We are literally going to read through the first three chapters of Ephesians today, and as we do, you'll see I've highlighted what I found as the answers to who are we in gold. And so you'll see that in the text. But I really want you to see if there's even more. See what I missed as we go through this. And this is the question that we're answering. Who are we now? So let's go for it. Can you see if I'm standing here? You guys okay? Okay, great. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is just a salutation. This isn't even the meat of what Paul had to say, but he already begins at the very beginning to identify the Ephesian church in a couple of really specific ways. And I think you'll agree with me that this isn't just for the Ephesian church. These letters were shared with all the churches. And so any church that is a church under the name of Jesus Christ should be able to identify with and accept the truths that Paul has said and believe these truths are for us too. And so those are the two things he says so far. We are a holy people 
and the faithful in Christ Jesus. One of the things that you need to keep in mind today is every single identity, I think there's 21 or I even got more than that, 25 different pieces of identity. Every one of them is a gift. So Paul is not reflecting, I know you guys well, and I've watched you, and so I can say this about you. What he's saying is, Jesus has given you this identity. So even when he uses the word faithful, that's not a scorecard for who they are. There isn't unfaithful churches and faithful churches in this regard, but he's saying the faithful in Christ. So this is a gift. So though you might naturally want to say, oh, I, don't, I can't identify with both of those. I have actions this week in my life that were unholy, and there are ways in which I've been unfaithful. That, that is not denying what is being said about you here. This is the gift of identity that you've been given. It's exactly like Gideon when he was confronted by an angel, and you've always heard this, you know, it says, Hail, mighty man of God, man of courage. And we know from the story that was not who he was in and of himself. But the, the archangel was speaking into him the identity that God was placing in him. So by the end of the story, those words are true. And that's what these scriptures are doing for us. God is speaking over us who we are becoming. And I, I, this, by the way, is a great way to parent. I think if you teach your child and relate to your child as if your child is all that you want them to be, it makes it easy for them to move in that direction. And especially when you're working with teenagers, I think if you treat them and speak to them as though they are all that you hope they will be, it will be a constant invitation for them to be that person, rather than identifying them for where they're failing or where they're falling short. Those things become identity markers that they believe and that they hang on to. And they just say, yeah, mom and dad are right. I am stupid. (laughs) I am lazy. And we don't want to give them that kind of identity. Neither does God want to give us any identity less than the one that we have in Christ. And so he speaks to them in who he knows they will become so that that's comfortable. And when they're living there, they know, yeah, that is exactly who we are in Christ. All right. So here's the, the, the content of the letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing or good thing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So again, though we made a choice to follow Jesus, according to the scriptures, the only reason we were capable of that is because God gave us the grace to believe. So even though faith in Jesus is a choice, according to the scriptures, The ability to choose rightly is given to us. That's a gift. And it's kind of interesting. It's this two-headed coin that God can say to us, uh, you are free to choose me or reject me. But then once we choose him, he affirms that he he, uh, enabled us to make the choice. And so there is, it's the two sides of free will and sovereignty. Everyone has free will and God does not predestine counter to a person's will. But, in, but he has something to do with what happens before faith happens, and he gives this gift of faith. And what's been helpful for me as I think about people that don't seem at this time in their life 
to have faith in Christ. I'm just waiting for them to receive the gift, and then they will believe. And so I don't become frustrated with a person because they're not choosing yet, because they're choosing foolishly. I'm just waiting for God to give them that gift. And I don't know why, but I just feel a lot more hopeful waiting on God rather than waiting on someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is a gift from God. So we were chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. Again, this is the idea that he's this parent that sees us as these things. And he talks to us as though we are this. And he believes that we are going to be this. And so he offers us sonship or daughtership, or we are adopted as children. Adopted because we were not born holy and blameless. We were born broken and full of the cancer of sin. But in Christ, we've been adopted for this new identity. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times would reach their fulfillment to bring, into, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul's making a tremendously huge statement here, and he's saying that in his generation, God did something that he's been preparing to do throughout human history from creation until Paul's generation. This had never been done before. It had been talked about and prepared for and prophesied about, but in his generation, in the generation of the disciples and Paul, it happened. And he's, he's just realizing, I'm living in a generation that is receiving what has only been a promise for thousands of years to mankind. In my generation, it happened. It's here. And even though for him that was news, and now this has been true for a couple thousand years, I still think there's good reason to feel as excited as Paul did in our generation to know that we too have been born into a space in time when God has finally poured out everything he was ever going to pour out. There's no more waiting. It's sad to talk to Jews who continue to wait for the Messiah. You know, when is the Messiah coming? That's the saddest place to be, I think, as a human, to not understand Jesus came. Jesus has brought everything, and it's all been poured out. And we are a part of Paul's generation in that regard, in that we have been blessed with all of these gifts and these new senses of identity as a human in Christ Jesus. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first, and now he's speaking of the Jews, we Jews who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And you also, Gentiles, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Here's another new thing. It was not understood until Paul's generation that the goodness of God was for every human on the planet. There was this understanding, and I don't really believe it was the original plan of God, There was this understanding that God's goodness and a relationship with God was only for the Jewish nation. Let me me ask you before I say this, do you understand from the teaching of the Old Testament that 
salvation and the presence of God and the leadership of God was only for Jews prior to Jesus? You would say yes. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ruth, um, Rahab, we have some people that were brought into, right? Yeah. Those seem like they're exceptions, right? Don't they? There aren't very many, <laughs> right? But, but I really believe if we listen to the plan of God, that was not what he opened the door to. He actually opened the door to anyone, anywhere in the world to have come to him through the Jewish nation. There were, there were the allowances that worked for Rahab and Ruth and others, and those allowances would have worked for anyone. So God had intended from the beginning. He said to Abraham, I will bless the whole world through you. And on the one hand, I believe there was this, this invitation to the whole world, but he knew in his wisdom they weren't going to be very good at that. And so it was actually, again, secondarily a prophecy that this part of it's not really going to happen too well till Jesus comes. But the door was open. And it was really humans who, I think, limited the, the glory and the goodness of God because they loved that exclusivity. They kind of liked that. We're the haves and you're the have-nots. That is certainly never the will of God, that there would be haves and have-nots. And so this whole idea of, yeah, the Jews, yes, but the Gentiles, no, that's never in in God's plan. In fact, it says in Galatians 3, there's this wonderful proclamation. It says, now there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. And in that proclamation, he's wanting to tear down all hierarchies within humanity. Hierarchy is something that we um, perpetuate. There's degrees of hierarchy. I think the one I can think of right away is parents. Parents have authority over their children, and rightly so, because children would not survive till the age of 12 if (laughs) they didn't have an authority to protect them. But hopefully when your child gets to be 14 and 16 and 18, you remove that hierarchy and you begin to treat them like a responsible human. And that's not just for their sake, it's for your sake. (laughs) You need to stop taking responsibility for them because you don't have authority or power to change them as adults. You may have influence, but you don't have authority and you can't command change in your child. And so you need to wisely remove your hierarchy and let that child be an independent adult. That's where you all are now. So in Galatians, Jesus is working to take away hierarchy. And that's exactly what happened here. It used to be Jew, and then if you were lucky, a Jew was gracious to you, you might be invited in. But that hierarchy in Christ is removed, so there is no Jew or Gentile, but all are one in Christ. And Paul, again, this is, this is the first time this has happened in his generation. He's saying, we're the generation. I'm the generation. This mystery has never been known, but I get to say it now to all the world that everyone is invited to be intimately related to God. This is the beauty of the temple being torn. Even, even the Jews had a hierarchy of priests, and only the priests could go actually be in the most intimate place with God. 
Think of Moses. Moses loved the presence of God so much, he had a special tent made that was outside the camp, and he would just go hang out with God all the time. Once he got access to God, he said, man, I'm not going to go anywhere else. I want to be with God all the time. This is a huge privilege that I get to be with God. And so he goes into this tent, and Joshua was apparently there all the time, and these guys just hang out with God constantly. That's what they did. So there was a hierarchy, but when Christ came, he tore that curtain between that holy place and basically said, hey, everybody, come close. Come close. Come right here. No more mediators. No more hierarchy. Come right here. I want to hug every, I want to embrace every one of you. No more mediators. No more leaders, but all are one in Christ. So this is the idea of included Jews exclusively, now Gentiles are included. And then there's this beautiful marked. And what is the mark on us that identifies us as Christian? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. What are the visible characteristics of that mark in you personally? What can you say about yourself to to tell me you know (laughs) you've been marked? Sorry? Yes. Baptism is a human act of obedience. Are you talking about water baptism? Yeah, yeah, yep. Good, yeah. So ceremonially, we would say my baptism, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What's the fruit of the Spirit that you could say confidently flows from you? Okay? Yeah, patience. Yeah. Who else can say, I have evidence in my life that the Spirit's in me? And what is the evidence? Somebody, I hope you understand, this isn't, this isn't bragging. It's on, it's on Jesus. <laughs> so if you were to say, yeah, I'm, I'm full of this, that's a gift from God. So stop being humble. <laughs> okay. What does that look like for you, Mona? Redemption. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have a confidence, and you've had it for a long time, that you are no longer carrying shame, and that you're, no, you're confident you're not going to be punished for the shortcomings in your life, and you have this sense that, that that's gone, and it's been your whole life, and you just know it. Nobody could argue you out of that. Yeah. So I hear joy. You said joy. You said you're talking about peace, peace with God, peace with yourself. Peace with your own story. I'm okay with my story. It's got hard stuff, but I have peace about my story. Yeah. This is the evidence. Yeah. Just uh, finding myself uh, the ability to, or the willingness to say, okay, not what I want, but I, I submit to what you're doing. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether that's a fruit of the spirit or not. But, uh, 
Do you have desires that are different than the desires you had before? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what What are they? Just oh, one of them. Just for my own uh, things, my way. You can just categorize it under that mm -hmm. umbrella. Okay. I want things my way, mm -hmm. and the way I see them, and the logic that I use to get to that moment. Mm -hmm. And that necess isn't necessarily what God has planned. So, do you find a desire for something different now? Oh, well, eventually. <laughs> yeah, but it but it exists. So you know, Paul says it's hard to kick against bricks. Well, sure. It's within myself that I say, "Oh yeah, I see why I'm so frustrated or mm -hmm. angry or whatever it is." It's like, yeah, well, maybe you just need to step back and say, "Lord, mm -hmm. whatever you're doing here, that's the only place I can mm -hmm. find peace." Mm -hmm. and there you go. So good. New desires. Yeah, they're there. They're in us, right? They're happening. Yeah? I know every one of you could share, but we can't. We need to go on. So you're off the hook. For this reason, next slide, thank you. Ever since I heard about your faith, Ephesians, in the Lord Jesus, you Gentiles, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Sorry, I keep asking, I'm assuming and not reading. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is what we prayed for. In order that you may know the hope to what you have been called. Just what Mona spoke about. The hope. Here's identity again. You are called. God has called to you and said, come be different. Come be whole. Come be what you desire to be. Come be fully human. Come be my daughter. Come be my son. Come be new. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. If there was one characteristic that I would pray for us as a community, I think it's this power, this word power. I think I could safely say that power is not the first thing we think of when we think of ourselves or of Colossae Sherwood. You're describing this church. Have you ever said, it's a really powerful community? Who said that so far? Oh, good. We're all on the same page. <laughs> and if you're describing your roommate or your spouse, are you saying, Peter's a really powerful man? Are, are you using that word? Oh, you are? Oh, good. Dude, you scored. <laughs> but how often do we use this word powerful? powerful. We are a powerful people. And I, I would say to you, I just have a hunger for that word to be true. And here's why. I know how free I am in Christ. I know how completely I'm forgiven. I know that my destiny after death is incredible. I know that I'm not going to lose anything. That I have a meager life that I will not lose. And when this life is complete, that meager life won't be meager anymore. So I know, without a doubt, the greatest thing a human can know. And I just feel like quietness and meekness and weakness around that truth is just stupid. <laughs> right? 
I mean, if I really believe that I know the best thing a human can know and I possess everything God has given me, why should I live an unpowered life? Why should I be quiet about that? Why should I be calm and say, yeah, hi, I'm Rick. I'm a Christian. That means I don't smoke or chew or... Oh, my gosh. Come on, right? I agree with you. That was hilarious. I am all of these things. I'm jumping the gun. I'll get there in just a minute. Let's move on. Wow. I'm not going to make it here, am I? I'm going too slow. Okay. Here we go. Hang on. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So whatever it took to pull Jesus out of the grave, that's the power we've been given. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now, I want you to hear something. One of the things I want to help rescue us from is we often see our identity in Christ in a very individualistic way. And, and we need, there's so much more than that. We need to see what it is to be the community of Jesus Christ. And we are so much more as who we are together than who we are one-on-one. And, and individualism is, is rampant in our culture. We, just, it's, we have individualistic everything, down to headphones and my own phone and my own, my own music. And you have your music in the seat next to you. And I have my own temperature controls in my seat. And your seat's hot and my seat's cold. And it's all just super individualistic. But God is a God of community. And he's made us into the church. And he says, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus said, it's good for you that I go to my father because you will do greater things than I did. And there's only one way that makes sense. The only way we can do greater things than Jesus did is that we can be where Jesus wasn't able to be. So Jesus was limited to a square foot of the body he was in wherever it went. The greater thing today is that Jesus is able to be in millions of square feet on the earth in 2019 because of you and me. So he's saying the reason it will be greater for me to go is I'm going to come back and I'm going to live in a million different bodies. My power, my joy, my fruit, the gifts of my spirit, I'm going to put it in all these different bodies and they will be all over the planet and they will be in every generation. But what he's saying is the incarnate Christ, the powerful Christ, the unique human who was beautiful and amazing and made everybody want to love God is here today in us. I'm a little curious if you agree with me, how much are we embracing that so that everybody knows Christ is here right now? Because the opportunity is there. And, and this shouldn't sound like an obligation. This is just super good news. Jesus is saying, I want to possess you so completely. And I want to remove anxiety so fully. And I want to put so much joy and peace and confidence and power in you. Because I'm desperate to show myself to other people. But I'm limited to you. And you and you and you and you. And I'm limited to communities. 
this is such a wonderful invitation to live a really full life and a really peaceful life and a really comforted life. And as a community, to just have a ton of fun together and just go, man, aren't you happy to be free from anxiety? Aren't you happy that judgment is completely gone? I will never pay for a single sin that I commit. I may hurt some people along the way, but even that, I have the ability through Jesus to ask for forgiveness and to say, I'm so sorry for what I did. Can I, how can I undo that? How can we be connected again? How can I love you again? We have the ability to repair every broken relationship. We have the ability to stop breaking relationships. This is all that we're called into, and this is how Jesus wants to live in us in all fullness. Jeremy, we got to go to the end. I have 12 slides I'm skipping. I'm skipping everything. No, it's going to be fine. So here's where we're going to land. This is everything I highlighted in gold. This is who we are. God's holy people, the faithful, the chosen, holy and blameless, children of God, the redeemed, the predestined, the included, the marked, God's possession, the called, the believer, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, alive in Christ, the resurrected, the saved, God's handiwork, those who are near to God, one new humanity, fellow citizens, members of his household, a holy temple, a dwelling in which God lives, heirs, members, and sharers in everything that belongs to God. The fullness of God. What stands between a full reception of this and a life that lives it out completely and one that is limited and only allows a little bit out? What's the difference? What's the factor between you and I and Colossae Sherwood being described by anyone who knows us in this way and not being identified as such? What's the difference? What's the space between that and whatever you think your reputation or identity is right now? Faith. Yeah. What else? Yeah, belief, faith, yeah. Okay. Feelings come and go, but if you have a consistency in your life that tells you, this doesn't seem to be true, that's not a feeling, yeah, yeah. Listening, okay, yeah. Faith comes by hearing, so if I'm not hearing or listening... Yeah, obedience. And, and catch that obedience here is not you having the muster to act like that, but it's you having the faith to receive that, right? Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, there's anti-belief. Yeah, lies that would say this isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he has to write a letter that says, why are you trying to finish in the flesh what got started in the spirit? Just receive it. Yeah. I, w- I want to add one other word. And by the way, you need to go get your kids if you have kids in, in preschool. Sorry about that. Um, I want to add the word attentiveness. I think that's what, what's missing for the faith to happen, is attentiveness to this as the most important dynamic in my own little life. If I think about where am I being attentive and where am I burning most of my attention, it's not here. It's in other things. It's in necessary things. And I don't mean to contrast good and bad and better and worse. I just, I just believe there's an attentiveness that if we were to apply it and to make space in our, the expenditure of our attention, <laughs> if you were budgeting your attention, we don't budget a ton of it here. And, and my invitation to you today is stop. I don't think that's what you want to do. I don't think you want to be unattentive to the greatest news that was ever shared. I don't think you want to not have time for a life that is joyful and peaceful and confident and at rest and anxiety diminished, if not anxiety free. I mean, why would, why would we deliberately choose that? But I want to I call us again today uh, to do this individually, but also to do it as, as a community, to be an attentive community, to really step into, wow, we've been given some incredible gifts that have never been opened. It's almost as though every Christmas you got 10 gifts and you opened one and you have some giant closet where you keep putting them. And now that you're 35, you have 350 minus 35 gifts in a storage closet somewhere, and you just keep living with one gift every Christmas when Jesus has given you pretty much everything that's available on the planet for fullness for a whole Christian life. What do you think right now? Where are you? <laughs> the good news is they're in your Bible. <laughs> Chapters 2 and 3 of Ephesians. Yeah. No, not at all. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Peter, are you ready to drop a song or two? Okay. 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 Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. All right, then you asked for it. <laughs> Chapter two, is that where we are now? Where did we drop? Okay, here we are. Ephesians two, verses one through five. <clears throat> As for you, Gentiles, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at that time, Jews as well, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So this is where Greg was, the desires that I have that are natural are not good. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love, and let me remind you, the wrath of God is not primarily for moral imperfection. The wrath of God is for a failure to love. God created a community of humanity and said, I want you to love each other and take care of each other and be good to each other and live a good, happy life. But when we are sinful, we don't love well. We're horrible at loving. So the wrath of God is, why are you hurting my children? Why are you taking from my children? Why are you destroying love between my children? That's the wrath of God. Not on morality or immorality, but on a lack of love. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. Verses 6 through 10. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in that heavenly realm, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, not by choice, but through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, just as we talked about. Not by works, not by doing it, choosing it, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. To speak lowly of yourself is to speak lowly of the craftsmanship of your God. When you speak lowly of yourself, you are critiquing the work of God. When we say, my life is not much, we are saying God's work is minimal. God's ability to create and to make something good, that's what you're disparaging. You're not disparaging yourself. He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcision. You had no mark by those who called themselves the circumcision, those who were marked by God, which is done in the body. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in the kingdom of God, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The veil is torn. You are here. Moving on, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one, destroying the barrier, removing the hierarchy, the dividing wall of hostility, By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. No longer Jew and Gentile. No longer slave and free. No longer male and female. Making peace 
and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility, the hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. And the end of chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, You are also members of his household, the very family of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God longs to live on the earth today. And he longs to live on the earth right here in the gathering of Christians. This is where God wants to live. When we talk, when we pray, when we consider the scriptures, when we worship, God wants to be there. That's where he wants to be. And he's longing for space inside of us and space between us to be. Chapter 3, here we are, Consuela. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Paul is speaking here of the uniqueness of how he came to be trained to be an apostle. The other 11 had been with Jesus. Paul was not with Jesus. So Paul's experience of the truth of God came by divine revelation and not by contact with Jesus in a body. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to people in other generations, as it has now been made known and been revealed by the Spirit of God to the holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the story of Jesus, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. No more division, no more hierarchy. Paul says, I became a servant of his gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. There he's speaking of who he was before Christ. I am less than the least of the Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery which for ages past has been kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now in this generation, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are your glory. For this reason, here's what Paul prays. And in my rule of life, this is the passage that was in my rule of life. This is my prayer for life for myself, and it's my prayer for you as Colossae Sherwood. This is what I live for. This is what I teach for. This is what I set up chairs in this room for. This is what I live for, is that you as a community 
would receive this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, Colossae Sherwood, with power through his spirit in your inner being, each one of you by name, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, each one of you by name, would be rooted and established in love and may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You cannot escape it. And to know that this love even surpasses what you know, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Don't be limited. Don't be just a little bit. Open up your heart. Open up your spirit. Open up your attention. Meet God every morning and say, Father, come. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Fill me up. I hope you're ready to worship a little bit. And even though you're still trying to grasp this, have you grasped enough to say thank you and to affirm the goodness of God and to celebrate a body given and blood shed that opened the door to all of this life? If so, let's worship. Father, we still need your help. We kind of get it a little bit. But we ask you, Father, not just Sunday to Sunday, God, please, but every day, on Monday and on Tuesday of this week, would you help us grasp your love? That it's four-dimensional and that it's so surrounding us that there really is no escaping it. Father, help us to stop escaping your love. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with power. Fill us with wisdom. In the name of Jesus, let us live this life. Amen.